0: Penny Zhu joins us again. He is president of the organization Color Us United and the author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy, which we discussed uh, a while back. His new book is School of Woke* how critical race theory infiltrated American schools, and why we must reclaim them. That's our topic today. Welcome, Mr. Zoot. Thanks for having me, Mark. You define critical race theory, CRT, at the start as the assumption of ongoing racism in America, which is demonstrated by the bare fact of disparate outcomes. That's the fundamental premise, Correct.
1: Yeah, and it's the fundamental premise that's being used in current leftist jurisprudence today that basically says any time that there is some sort of disparity between blacks and whites, and there's a lot of disparities, it necessarily could be or should be blamed on racism. That's what critical race theory is.
0: And and we don't need to uncover actual individual acts of discrimination in in the workplace but but you know, by specific people in order to allege racism at work. That, that sure is a handy avoidance, isn't it?
1: Yes, the mere disparity itself signals racism.
0: Nice, nice. Well, w- one of the things you do in the book is to lay out a series of vignettes about how this whole process has, has gotten going. And you've got a, a telling word in your subtitle, infiltrated. this was a process of infiltration. You don't call it uh, uh, conquest, although it, it, it was a. Co- I mean, infiltration has a very specific uh, designation. You chose that
1: word deliberately, I presume. That's right. I did. It's an infiltration because, you know, sort of like the Reichstag fire was uh, was the final line towards Hitler's. Control of the German Parliament, a staged incident, the false flag, basically, the infiltration of critical race theory into the American schools is a result of a number of false flag institutions of false flag incidents. Um, uh, whether it be somebody finding a so-called incident of racism at the school, and it may well have been racist, someone might have said some racist word, but then. Activists will come in and blow it up dramatically to to insinuate systematic racism in the school and then push policies that are anti-racist in that school system for that purpose, leading to the critical race theory, ideology ingrained in the system.
0: Very strategic, right? Carefully, a carefully plotted campaign,
1: wasn't it? Carefully plotted campaign right down to its 70s roots in marcusa herbert marcusa uh, and his frankfurt school paulo Freire and his pedagogy of the oppressed those were some of the first education school administrators and theorists that first created the idea of well if we're going to make the school be a place where we could create a revolutionary a revolution then we need to teach these kids in a certain way that helps them to realize that they are the oppressed person in an oppressive system. Indeed.
0: You have a lot of vignettes in in the book. Your first vignette tells the story of a data mining company called Panorama Education. Uh, what is that
1: organization's story? What work did it do? Well, I can't say too much right now because they have been um trying to dispute some of this stuff but basically you know this organization here here are the bare facts that i can say this organization was founded by merrick garland's son-in-law zan tanner has lots of connections uh instituted widely across school systems its purpose is to create student surveys for quote-unquote social emotional learning they got a lot of funding, including funding from Mark Zuckerberg himself, and uh, you know, and it, in short, it is an example of a lot of different businesses that really see education as a place where they can make their living.
0: So they use. I, I mean, I, I gather you're you've got some complications, maybe leading to litigation. Kenny, is that right?
1: Uh, potentially, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. I, I won't. I won't push on that. Maybe we'll talk generally about student surveys. So you got this outside group saying we're going to do a survey of your school on social, emotional attitudes, experiences. We're going to make the questions. We're, we'll do the sampling, and then they'll they'll present the results to the school and say, in effect, you really need us to
1: fix your problem you have a racial problem. here.
0: Is that how it works?
1: Yeah. And whether it's the company itself or whether it's associated other companies. So the surveying of the kids is just one ingredient, right? Think about this as like a stew. Um, you need the surveys because you need to have, if you're an activist, right? And you, what's the benefit to you? Well, you want data to show that kids are being impacted by racism and discrimination. So you would hire survey companies to come in and allege racism and discrimination then you would hire these other consulting companies like what loudon county did to insinuate that it's a systemic crisis that teachers exhibit low cultural competency that teachers are in fact racist against children um, and this is what loudon county schools personally did institutionally they did it and then of course you have the democratic party machine whose job is to win votes right for the democratic party and then they come in and then they will take that narrative, they will blow it up in the local papers, they will spend money recruiting candidates to be so-called anti-racist and use the school as this cultural battleground where we need to root out racism. And you have Democratic governors like Terry McAuliffe at the time coming in and settling these negotiations largely in favor of the woke industries.
0: The woke industries have a lot of money, Kenny. Those politicians, they like, they like donations. That's all part of the game, isn't
1: it? They do, and one way to raise money is to allege racism, widespread racism. It's been a money raiser for the Democratic Party for a long time. So this book really, if you look at it and if you you see the facts, because I really, really stick to these stories, and I'm really going in deep in these stories because I'm trained like that. You have to talk to these people. You really see the way that it, it is an interlocking machine between businesses, activists, and politicians. And it's all on the left side of the aisle, and they've created this little nest egg for themselves called the woke capitalist nest egg, and it's infiltrated the schools.
0: You know, (laughs) you you have great experience in the workings of actually higher education as well as uh, primary and secondary now from your previous book. But, you know, when people hear that Princeton University has... Has a real problem with racism, or when they hear that the school teachers in Loudoun County public schools, people just say, What are you talking about? School teachers are some of those most progressive anti discrimination people on earth aren 't they i mean that doesn't isn't there something a little bizarre about all this
1: right well it 's the same thing they did with the police force because we had somebody who landed a knee on george floyd um uh you know they it, it was created as an excuse for leftists to come and say the entire police system is racist and look at all the damage that that has done on the morale of our police force on the funding for our police force on public safety it's like the response was much worse than the incident and this is what's happening in the education system the response the anti-racist response is much worse than the incident
0: and i guess the allegation of racism carries at least in these worlds so much moral authority that school teachers and administrators can't say wait a minute give me a break, they just can't do it anymore.
1: so in China China has a lot of things wrong but one of the things that it does right is that you have to respect your teacher You know, early on, I'm not saying this is entirely right, but uh You know, Chinese people tend to ingrain their kids with the sense of if if there's a dispute between the child and the teacher, the teacher is always right. And you have to give deference and authority to the teacher. And maybe you shouldn't always do that in America, but certainly it's going way too far in the opposite direction. Where it's like now the child is always right and the teacher is the prejudiced and discriminatory one, even though the teacher's job is to make your child learn. And guess what? It is just the case that black students have higher discipline issues than white students on average. That's why they're disciplined to higher rates. So when President Obama created a law back in 2013, sorry, 2010, that said you have to to discipline people at the same rate, he's basically saying even though black students commit violations at higher rates, you have to discipline them at the same rate. So what does that mean? That means that you have to lower standards for discipline violations for black students, and that's exactly what was happening throughout the 2010s in schools, Hmm. which led to more discipline issues in the
0: schools. Right, right. You have a long section on Loudoun County, which you mentioned a moment ago, whose school board meetings became national news uh, a couple of years ago. Why did parents show up at those school board meetings so angry and confused? And
1: how did the board react to them? It was for a number of different issues, but the overwhelming idea was that the schools were just not listening to the parents. When the parents were expressing concerns, they were getting shutdowns from the schools, non responses, uncooperative administrators, and these parents are not stupid. Right, As I, In the first chapter of my book, I said, this is not Hicktown, USA. This is pretty immigrant-heavy, pretty highly educated, very wealthy county of the United States. You know, They all have day jobs. So they're not just going to go protest at a school board unless it's a really serious issue with their children. And it really is. And they perceived it so because these teachers – it was at that moment when the teachers and the administrators really felt like they owned the school and they owned the child and they were above even the parents' opinion of the child and what the child should be particularly with regards to sensitive gender and race issues and that's really what led to the frustration that overcame the school system
0: and and how did the school board react when you know i didn't i didn't know that but you're yeah that's got to be true they first went to the schools the principals the teachers and they got nowhere no response maybe a high-handed contempt actually that's what led them to go to the school board meeting how did the school board
1: members respond? The school board members responded by basically going to the news media and saying that these parents are hateful parasites of the school system. Take a look at the response of uh, LCPS, Loudoun County Public Schools, school board chair Brenda Sheridan, who said, um, "I believe that these parents are hateful. We don't welcome hate at these schools." So basically. In response to the parents in which the school board should be serving right as the constituents of the public school system in response to these parents' concerns over the school system's handling of their child's matters, the school board and the school administration goes to the news media and accuses their own constituents of being hateful bigots
0: did, did they really think that that this
1: wouldn't i mean I,
0: I, I guess they're so They were so taken with themselves, so arrogant, that they really thought that this would... Well, let me just say, this backfired hugely, didn't it?
1: The nail in the coffin was when LCPS school board superintendent um, Scott Ziegler uh, basically lied in front of the entire school board and, and a group of parents saying that There have been no transgender sexual assaults in our schools. No sexual assaults committed by transgenders. Meanwhile, just two weeks before he made that speech, the school discovered that a gender-fluid boy who dressed like a girl assaulted a teenage girl in in the girl's bathroom. And they covered it up. And this wasn't revealed until days, until weeks after the school board, and by the way, after the vote that the school board made that made certain protections on transgenders, such as the fact that transgenders would be allowed to enter any bathroom that they pleased. So clearly, Scott Ziegler lied to protect the passage of this law, or perhaps was unwittingly pressured into lying for some other reason, but in any case, he was exposed, and he lost his job. He's fired you know,
0: these, these groups that approach the schools and offer services, DEI, diversity, sensitivity, training, surveys, why is it that upscale, uh, often white, but not always, liberals, why are they so gullible and credulous in their dealings with race hustlers such as one whom you profile in the book, Michelle Thomas, uh, or Ibram Kendi? Why do they, they buy their line?
1: Well, the reality is a lot of white liberals only have a very surface-level experience of minorities, and it's the case. And it is these minority groups' job. People forget that it is the NAACP's job to cater black victim politics to white congregations, right? So basically, if you're an upper-middle-class liberal white woman in Loudoun County— Where do you get your so-called black experience? You want to have the black experience because the school tells you and everybody tells you you need to have diverse experiences, but then you get your quote-unquote diverse experience from a group whose sole job is to twist that diverse experience into black victimhood politics. And so that's how you end up with the current situation is that you get people's political messaging from well-designed victimhood consultants that promote the leftist agenda, even though that's not necessarily where minorities actually stand on these issues.
0: You know, it's 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 a pretty good job. There's a lot of money flowing into these DEI, CRT coffers. It, it, you lay out, part of the infiltration is it's now a whole industry. It's a bureaucratic complex. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, can, how do school systems afford all
1: these consultants and new hires, because they're pretty expensive, aren't they? You should know that over the past 40 years, the amount of money that we spend spent on public education has tripled. And it has tripled because the taxpayer has allowed it so. Every time they pass a budget, the school lobby comes in and asks for more money. And it just happens every single year. And it's gotten to the point where we now spend three times as much money adjusted for inflation as we did in 1980 on schools. And... We we think it's for the education of the kid, but it really is paid for administrators. And these administrators have outgrown the salaries and the presence of teachers by six to one. And so no longer is the school system about teaching children. It's about becoming an entire economy and a little fiefdom of the superintendent now with lawyers, PR consultants, tech people, DEI officers. And so there's plenty of money floating around the school system. It's not making its way into the classroom. It's making its way into the coffers of those to feed into its agenda
0: how did Charlotte North Carolina come up with a quote
1: gender support plan what was that plan you're a fourth grader or fifth grader and you wanted to change your gender uh, you could request a consultation with the counseling services of Charlotte Mecklenburg schools and they would bring you this form. And this form says, you know, what is your name? What is your preferred gender? What would you like to change it to? What is your preferred name that you would like to change it to? And the teachers would be required to, to call you these things. And then the twist in that is that you, the teachers and the school did not have to give this to the parent. They did not have to inform the parent that the, that the student is doing this. So from an early age, they are trying to take away... The autonomy of the parent from his or her child's life and give it to the hands of the school system.
0: How did, uh, how did parents react to that?
1: Well, I talked with one of the parents, her name is Brooke, in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools in North Carolina, and she is absolutely furious. She sees this as an abridgment upon her trust of the school system. Remember, these parents who put their kids through public school, they're not rich. They don't have time to worry about their kids, so they assume that the school is trustworthy. And so when the school betrays their trust by forcing all this propagandistic transgender language upon their kids, then they really feel like their school is not a safe place for their kid anymore. And So it puts parents in a very uncomfortable position.
0: I I wouldn't be surprised to see the, the private school, the charter school population
1: in Charlotte growing. I wouldn't either. In North Carolina, we we recently – I live in North Carolina and and we recently passed a parental bill of rights law that basically says um, you have to inform the parents of such subsequent changes. Now, the problem is the law was delayed. We passed the law, but it's not scheduled to be implemented until January. Meaning that all of these school lobbies have time to influence this law, and you have to keep monitoring it. It's probably going to result in a watered down version. So, um, there's there's clearly interest at work.
0: The situation in progressive school districts is is quite interesting. There's an inconvenient fact about them. Here's the one. Here's the fact that you bring up. The more progressive a locality, the larger the black-white
1: achievement gap in the schools. What does that suggest? It suggests that progressive policies don't work. In fact, they have counterintuitive effects. Furthermore, it suggests that progressive districts is a great place to get rich off of education, but it's a pretty poor place to teach a child. Um, there's a reason why Baltimore City spends the fourth most per child, per student, per year. They spend over $21,000 per child per year, where the national average is $13,000. And as a result, you have kids that have basically 7% proficiency in math in Baltimore City. That's what it is right now. There are 21 middle schools where zero kids are proficient in math. And so the culture is a problem there. The, the money certainly isn't a problem, but it's the culture that's at problem here, and that's something that is totally against progressivism, and that's why progressives simply cannot teach. There's another figure in your account,
0: a story you tell that's actually a rather poignant story in the way it ends. It it ends up. I'm referring to a parent who became something of an activist in San Francisco and was part of a movement to get three. San Francisco school board members voted out. What's the
1: story behind that that episode? The story is that these board members in San Francisco um, they said some of the most racist things on social media that you would ever say about an Asian student. They called them house n words, basically, uh, basically. Asians were white-adjacent to, white, to the white man. And the reason why they would make these statements is because Asians were just severely outperforming all of the other races, including whites, but really including blacks and Hispanics. And a lot of people were frustrated by that, so they just assumed that the Asians must have been cahoots with the white man, which is really, really scary and funny at the same time that somebody of would believe that. And so finally, one parent named Ann Xu had got tired of it and she launched a movement to oust these three school board members, the highest Chinese-American turnout ever, in a recall school board election in San Francisco. How could you think of that? And they ousted those three members, and she won. And she was profiled in the New York Times, and they appointed her to that school board. But then sadly, the leftist progressive caucus got back at her. And the way they got back at her was when she insinuated that the problem – in these schools among black students had something to do with family and culture, which it obviously does, the progressive mom twisted that into a racist characterization of them. And they totally went after her and forced and spent a ton of money to get her out of that school board office and forced her to apologize and crawl on her knees. And this woman, unfortunately, being politically inexperienced, does not know the way the left will try to tactically destroy you and So she caved to that and as a result she lost her seat.
0: Hmm. It 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 is uh it, it is a story where you, you when I was reading that I kept hoping she would she would just fight back. But she didn't. And and I think she just probably just couldn't believe that they were going after her in 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 this way. There was an interesting thing, you'll tell me if I'm wrong, about that vote. These school members were supported actually in the most upscale white areas, it was the minority areas that voted them out,
1: correct? Well, that's right. And that's because in these minority areas, they're the ones most likely to be affected by the public school system. And they were most likely to feel its oppressive effects. That is the way the schools were locked down for many, many years after COVID. um, The way that they were focused on woke things, like changing the name of the schools from Abraham Lincoln High School to something more woke, I guess, instead of actually getting their kids back in school. And it was just a very um, – it was just a very – it was a message that really angered a lot of parents.
0: Well, we had another episode happen a couple hundred miles south in Santa Barbara where we had a new superintendent, Hilda – imposed a dual-language program on
1: the the district. What was that program, and how did it perform? Yeah, look, in, I mean, yeah. This, so, which I recounted in my book, um, in this little vignette that I talk about, Santa Barbara School is a 60% Hispanic district. Um, she imposed, Hilda imposed a mandatory... ESL program for Hispanic students, um, kids that were born in Mexico, and this program was to be taught 90% in Spanish and 10% in English. And so what happens is that at the critical age when these kids could learn English, they were learning Spanish instead. And the, the totality of this was to create a divide between the Hispanic students and the white students in language acquisition, and so enshrine a permanent Hispanic and Latino working class. Uh, lower class that would be reliable Democratic minority voters forever, and, and yet the white liberals in Santa Barbara—they loved it, didn't they? Oh yeah, they did. They they some of them funded it. Foundations came in and supported it. Um, it very much made them feel like they were doing something, and they were just the wrong thing. They were doing. It. That's right.
0: They were doing some, but Hilda
1: didn't last. The teachers rebelled. Correct. Hilda has lasted. She hasn't gotten. She had to take executive coaching and get get some leadership coaching. But she survived that. But certainly, a lot of parent, a lot of teachers walked out after that. The ones who were serious, and the school is worse and in worse shape because of her leadership, no doubt.
0: All right. There are many other stories in in the book and. We see the way politics, activist groups, and and donors, big money, uh, come together to form what is in this book's title, the School of Woke: How Critical Race Theory Infiltrated American Schools and Why We Must Reclaim Them. Kenny Zhu, thank you for joining us. Thank you.